Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm going to tell you the story of Keevan Henry. You might have heard of him. He is a former NFL player, played for the Pittsburgh Steelers, retired in 2000. Like a lot of players, after he left the game, he found himself forgetting things and losing his temper. His body was a wreck. So he filed a claim with the NFL. You probably remember back in 2013, the league reached a settlement agreement that allowed players who can prove they've sustained brain injuries to get payouts. But Keevan's claim was denied twice. The administrator said it was because Keevan was evaluated using inappropriate norms. His doctor hadn't factored in Keevan's race. He's black. That's how Keevan and another player ended up in court. In a lawsuit, they say the NFL has avoided paying claims based on a discriminatory practice that assumes black players start from a lower cognitive level than white players. It's a controversial practice known as race norming. A practice called race norming. A practice known as race norming. And in a nutshell, here's what it is. Race norming is part of how a doctor tells how sick you are. It's used in a lot of medical tests. A physician takes some measurements and puts them into a computer, then punches in some other information your gender, your age, and a lot of times, your race. The algorithm spits out a score. It's all pretty invisible. But Keevan gave race norming a face. Football doesn't give you an expiration date. You just expire. I've had 10 concussions or more. I've had at least 17 surgeries. 17. And I've, I'm, I'm still getting them. Keevan also gave race norming a cost. He said he may have missed out on millions of dollars in settlement money. I felt so betrayed, and I still feel that way. Two different systems? I, 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 how, how can that be okay? Why should that be okay? At first, it seemed like Keevan Henry's lawsuit wasn't going anywhere. A judge kicked it out of court, sent the parties to mediation. The NFL called the allegations misguided. But last week... All that changed. Now to the major announcement from the NFL tonight, the league revealing it will support now the end of the controversial practice of race norming. Now, all claims previously made under the concussion settlement will be reopened and reassessed without the discriminatory practice. The NFL, though ending its use of race norming, quite notably did not apologize. Joining me now is Jamel Hill, contributing writer for The Atlantic. Listening to this story, it's easy to pick out a villain. The NFL. The NFL, this is on brand for who they are and who they have always been. But today on the show, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to talk about why what looks like a victory for football players might be part of something much bigger, a reassessment of how all of us are seen when we go to the doctor. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. 
When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. To understand this one way that race factors into the care we get, I called up Darshali Vias. Darshali is a resident physician at Mass General. She's also part of a years-long fight to eliminate the most harmful race norming in medicine. Darshali says race norming, it's baked into her job as an internist. She sees it mostly in these digital tools that help her decide on treatment options. There's a tool that lets doctors predict the likelihood that a patient will have a kidney stone, a tool to measure lung function, even a tool to predict how likely it is that a patient will survive a hospital stay. All of those tools factor in race. More and more, as our technology improves and increases, there is sort of a movement to move towards like an online calculator or an algorithm or a risk score that helps doctors make difficult decisions. You know, there are some decisions that are clear cut and some decisions that are more in a gray area. And when we're trying to make decisions like that, it could be when to start a patient on a certain kind of medication or how to counsel a patient towards or away from a procedure or sort of when to seek additional testing or imaging. There are some gray areas. And in in those cases, it can be helpful to have a tool that helps us individualize a patient's risk or a patient's risk factors and sort of guide decision making. And in some ways, it's helpful to have that because it helps doctors be more objective. You're not just going on your gut. Right. It can be helpful to standardize decision making in that way, especially when there is a gray area. But when race is a factor, Darshali's got to make a call, plug the data in or leave it out. It's a decision that's complicated by the fact that oftentimes there isn't a clear answer on what her patient's race is. There is no clear guideline on on how to answer that question. And there's a lot of room for error and judgment to go into that decision. It also, these tools that ask for race, you know, typically they'll, they'll ask for very constrained categories of race. They'll either say black, white, Asian. The patients I take care of have racial identities that don't fall neatly into those categories. So clinicians often will have to make an assumption based on It can be skin color. It can be what you think they'd identified as. If the patient's in front of you, you can ask them what race they identify as. But again, there's they're very strict categories. Um, And and I think one one problem that these tools don't comment on at all is what to do if a patient is a multiracial patient or identifies with multiple ethnic backgrounds. Um, Do you pick one? Do you say other? You know, and, and how does that affect what output you get from the tool? And these tools are based on previous information, right? Like outcomes of patients who have come before. And it's like I think about race norming as this kind of closed loop of information where it's both documenting a reality, but then there's this question of whether by documenting the reality, you are then creating a reality. Right. Because you've given this score which now is going to impact how you treat the patient. And so you've sort of used a stereotype to capture someone in a way. Right. And then to use it in predictive modeling. And so you're sort of 
using a current snapshot of a disparity and using it for a predictive tool to almost continue that disparity into the future. Yeah, it becomes this warped circle of logic. So I'm a little curious what race norming looks like in this NFL situation in particular. Like if I was a player looking for compensation for a brain injury, I'm wondering like what kind of tests would I get and how would they be corrected for race? Basically to decide about the settlements, you need to assess what the damage done is to the cognition and to the brain function. And so these players undergo tests but the way they're interpreted differs based on race. And the way they differ is the tests assume that black players have lower cognitive function at baseline. And so to order to qualify for the settlement, they have to ha- they have to show a larger decrement in cognitive function. Hmm. And it's kind of based in this, you know, what the NFL has defended the practice in the past, saying that this was based on sort of long established tests and widely accepted scoring methodologies, but there's no scientific evidence to show that that black patients have lower cognitive function, of course. And and that's kind of at odds with all of our genetic understanding of race to begin with. Race often pops up in these tools the same way a biological characteristic might, like blood pressure or cholesterol. The problem, Darshali says, is that race is a social construct, not a biological condition. Just because something correlates with an outcome doesn't mean it's a causation. Um, And just because race correlates with an outcome of interest doesn't make it part of the causal pathway. It's not something about being Black that makes people more or less likely to have an outcome of interest. It's the experience of being Black. And so, and you know, in some cases, it's easier for us to recognize a social factor that that doesn't end up in the model. Like for a lot of these uh, analyses, people will find that insurance type also correlates with the outcome of interest. Insurance type doesn't end up in the final tool because we can recognize that insurance status is a social determinant of health. But when race ends up with a signal, it often ends up in the final model. And that does kind of imply that we're using it in a biological or genetic way. It's interesting because I'm sure the argument that someone coming up with one of these tools might use is, well, the signal is so loud, like we have to include it because, you know, race was just the loudest signal we had. And so obviously we must include it. And I wonder if if you might see that differently, where you're like, yeah, that's like a clanging bell for <laughs> the racism in medicine, not, you know, some kind of indication that we need to be sorting people in this way. Right. And I think, right, when you see the signal for race, that should be sort of a call to action, that these racial disparities are really stark and that they need to be addressed at their root cause, not that we should correct for them and just adjust our models around the disparity. Which means, in a way, kind of accepting the disparity. Right. And in the worst case scenario, perpetuating the disparity forward if we're just correcting our tools around them. When we come back... At the same time a race-norming battle has been raging at the NFL, Darshali and her colleagues have been waging a fight of their own, and they just won. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I want to talk about your personal story. Because part of the reason I wanted to talk to you is that you've really dug into how race norming is all over medicine. Like, if you had to tick off the kinds of tests that are race normed, like, could you do it? (laughs) I mean, I think that what has been so striking of this work is, like, it started with just a few examples that stood out um, to me and to my classmates. But it, it has just shown that it's ubiquitous across all fields of medicine. It's not just one field. It's surgery, it's obstetrics, it's general medicine. And so what I I think it's important to emphasize, the ones that we talk about are sort of a collection of them, but it's really, it's a really common practice throughout medicine. Darshali first got interested in race and healthcare back in medical school. One of the first things she learned is that genetic variation is greater within racial groups than between them. But when she entered the hospital, Darshali saw race used again and again to determine what kind of treatments patients should receive. And when I was on my obstetrics rotation, there was another example of race correction kind of right in front of me through the vaginal birth after cesarean section tool or the VBAC tool that also corrects by race. This VBAC tool, it's another one of those calculators for doctors. For women who have given birth once by cesarean section, but want to try for a vaginal birth next time, that's a VBAC. This tool lets you plug in all kinds of information. Then you get a score. It tells you how successful a vaginal birth is likely to be. The thing is, telling the tool you're Black or Hispanic lowered your score. Anecdotally, we heard from practitioners who would use the tool and have a cutoff in their mind. Like, if this calculator gives me a percentage that's less than 50%, I'm not going to offer a VBAC. And that could mean a more dangerous birth for a Black or Hispanic mom. A successful VBAC has far fewer complications than a repeat C-section. But the tool wasn't really factoring that in. The equity concern there is that it may be directing clinicians to steer women of color towards repeat cesarean sections. Yeah, I wonder, when you were studying obstetrics, did you see this and immediately a light bulb went off? Like, hold it, this is what I've been talking about with my friends and colleagues already, and here it is, again. and. My professors are saying we're going to use this tool like each and every day. (laughs) Yeah, I actually remember using it in like, you know, preparing to see a patient with one of the um, obstetricians I was working with. And like we pulled it up before we went in to see the patient. 
like just on the website and entered the patient's characteristics into the tool. And then that day at our noon conference teaching session, like someone had put up the equation for VBAC on the, on the screen, like in front of the whole room. And it had these subtraction factors for African-American race and Hispanic race. And it was just like projected onto the screen. It's like, oh, this is another example of the same logic. What was the logic and why didn't it make sense? Basically, the, the, there was a group of researchers who wanted to create a tool to help clinicians decide who's a good candidate for a VBAC. They looked at huge data sets and found a bunch of factors that correlated with having a successful VBAC. And they found a lot of characteristics that correlated, and a lot of them ended up in the tool, like BMI, prior labor history, things that have sort of a clear mechanistic connection to vaginal birth. They also found, interestingly, other factors that they also saw correlated that they did not include in the tool. And this is, they found marital status correlated with successful vaginal birth. They found insurance type correlated and they found race correlated. They they didn't end up using marital status or insurance type, but they did include race. And to me, that kind of points to our ability to identify some factors as socially mediated, but we can't make that connection to race for some reason, that we assume race is still biologically relevant. So Darshali and a couple of colleagues wrote a paper. They urged their peers to reconsider the use of race in this tool. For a while, it was difficult to find an audience. It took them over a year to find a journal willing to publish them. But since then, Darshali's seen some progress. Just a couple of weeks ago, actually, the VBAC calculator online has officially changed to a version of the same tool that does not use race. And what's really interesting and exciting is that the same group that validated the original VBAC calculator revalidated the tool removing race. Why was that meaningful for you? I think two things about it stand out to me. The first is that the VBAC calculator has officially become the first instance of race correction in a clinical algorithm that's been systematically reconsidered, revalidated, and actually abandoned with an explicit concern for equity. But also, it's a powerful demonstration that equity work can look like this willingness to respond and incorporate critique and to reconsider old practices. Um, And to be explicit, you know, the same developers who made the first VBAT calculator have now made a new one without race and ethnicity that they also feel is a confident predictor of risk for these women. And so I think the development of this new model exemplifies that, yes, our clinical tools can still be scientifically rigorous and clinically useful without race correcting. And it's powerful to see a group sort of rethink a decision they made years and years ago and kind of respond to an equity concern that was raised um, and and do it in a scientifically rigorous way. Huh. Okay, so the NFL has said it won't use race norming in its compensation process. And and your work just in the last couple of weeks has led to this change in this scoring for women who are trying to decide whether they're candidates for VBAC. I wonder if you feel like this relief right now that the gears are turning, I guess, and things are changing a little bit. Yeah, I think that it does feel like, you know, these do feel like two wins. There's been a lot of momentum over the past year in particular. I think the NFL and the VBAC are the two big changes over the past few weeks. I will just say in March, there was another big development around the use of race correction in the EGFR formula for kidney function. 
there was a national task force that was assembled and they made their official recommendation in March that we should end race correcting EGFR2. And I do think there are, you know, this was a year that was really well conditioned to having these broader discussions about race. And it's it's very exciting to see the momentum. Like you said, there's still a lot of work to be done, both in the remainder of these tools and sort of implementing changes that come from higher up levels and also sort of setting new standards moving forward. I mean, something that struck me is that even though the NFL is not using these race-corrected scores for cognitive function, I wondered, doctors can still use those scores. And that means if you're a patient, like, do you even know if you're being race-normed at the moment? I mean, I think in general, patients often don't know when when they're being race-normed. Like, I, you know, some of the tools are ones that maybe a doctor will do in front of the patient, but like, EGFR, for example, that calculation happens at the lab. That's not the kidney function that, score. Yeah, that that happens at the lab level. That gets just sent to us in our in our chart in the morning. So there are a lot of examples of race norming that patients wouldn't be aware of. Um, and even like the VBAT calculator, you know, sometimes clinicians will maybe pull up the calculator and do it with the patient in front of them. But often it's done before the visit even starts. And so it is. You know, there is a, an element of this that's patient advocacy and sort of, you know, empowering patients to ask about scores that are being used to help guide decisions about their care. Hmm. I wonder how you deal with that as a physician, someone who's trying to give care to patients, but may yourself feel hemmed in by these scores that you may be you may have a choice about whether to use them. You may not. Like if you have a patient in front of you and you're sort of clicking in their electronic medical record and, and trying to figure out their risk of whatever, do, do you find yourself making decisions in the moment like, I'm going to leave race off of this one? Or maybe I'll put race in this one because I do think it's important. Like, how do you navigate those? Yeah, no, it's really tough. And I think what makes it tough is that it, the decisions that we're making about whether to include race or not in a tool are also based on this these faulty ideas about about how to identify race to begin with. Anecdotally, we hear physicians do all sorts of, of things to try to make this decision more fair until these tools are revised. And that can mean, you know, entering a patient in a tool as as white or not selecting race, and then also selecting race and showing the range of values that that means. I think what it often ends up looking like is, is talking about how race is being used in the tool with the patient directly. And so I think what it can do is open up a conversation around like around talking about race correction with the patient themselves and sort of having the discussion around what are your actual risk factors for disease like forget about this category the tool is making me assign but like let's just talk to the patient in front of us there's shali vias thank you so much for joining me thanks for having me Darshali Vias is a resident physician at Massachusetts General Hospital. And that is our show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Davis Land, Carmel Delshad, Daniel Hewitt, and Elena Schwartz. We're led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here tomorrow.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.